Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North, and this is episode 119. It's sacking season. Sacking season. We, you know, potatoes and sacks, it's harvesting season. And people get fired. That's actually really what this is all about. People are getting fired. Yeah, they're Premier League managers around the league who are struggling to keep their jobs. There are managers throughout Europe, as a matter of fact, that are. And then there is also a situation embroiling in the United States, which is long overdue. There are heads rolling here as well. So let's just start with the football side of things in the UK, kind of the fast stories, and then we'll move on to kind of the main meet, the main topic. So first of all, I want to start with the first main sackings that needed to happen, had to happen. At least three police officers and a few more people, civilians, have been charged in the stampede that crushed 125 people in a stadium in Indonesia. So this is a horrible thing where basically a few people were pitch invaders and the police came in and decided to take a hard line on it and tear gas was fired into the stands and people started running. And once people start running and there's a lot of people, accidents happen... A lot of people were killed. I think 125 is the current number that they've ended up at. And that is just just devastating. It's just awful. I mean, this happened in Cameroon during the African Nations Cup where in the lead up to one of the games, fans were running into the stadium area from different sides. And there was just too many people in a certain area. And some were run over. And it's wild to think that like a person can go somewhere in a crowd of people. It's too much. They get they fall down and then other people just run over them and and kill them. It by accident. It's wild. So that that's a horrible story. And I bring this up at the beginning. Because I just want to mention that in the same week at and earlier in the week that Richarlison from Brazil was playing in France against Tunisia for Brazil and a Tunisian fan threw a banana onto the pitch. Now, this incident got more coverage than the death of 125 people. Racism is something we should absolutely be talking about, thinking about, trying to find the best way out of it. But to ignore a disaster in a stadium of this magnitude, to talk about a banana thrown from two people of color, essentially. I'm sorry. I just I just don't really see where we're going with this. And I've seen a lot of television time devoted towards topics that aren't about football. And you know, also giving some kind of attention to this giant tragedy because it's a tragedy. It's a freaking tragedy. 125 people die in a stadium. That's more than died at Hillsborough. 
So Liverpool fans who are currently still, you know, processing and dealing with everything that happened all that time ago, this is more of a death tally. And it is really upsetting. It's sad. And I think that we should talk about it more and not in a disparaging way about the third world, just saying, well, you know, it's, it's Indonesia, so it's third world infrastructure, it's third world this, third world that. That is bullshit. Sorry. I'm, I, I don't accept that. I think that at this point we need to talk about the way that police will react to fans. And bringing up Liverpool again, y'all experienced this in the Champions League final last May when Liverpool fans went to Paris and were tear-gassed for, I'm not really sure what, nothing really at all. Totally unjust. Awful display by the police. Do we want situations like this to continue, or are we going to make them about what club or nationality we are and who does this kind of thing? I think that it's a very dangerous type of thing, and we need to make sure we're on the right side of it. Okay. For anyone who just bared with me through all that, let's have some fun now. That was important. I needed to say it. But we got to talk about jobs getting lost because it's sacking season. It really is. Look, there's a lot of managers that have been on the chopping block lately. Quite a few. Some seem to be like one game away from being relieved of their duties. And then there's others who, well... They've already been fired or saved. So we'll get into all the parts of that. Jun Lipitegi is the one I want to start with because his sacking seemed like it had been coming for weeks. Sevilla have been terrible for a while. And I just don't understand why they waited the entire international break to sack a guy, basically to wait for him to not do well in the Champions League and then show him out the door. So Borussia Dortmund win 4-2, I believe it was, against Sevilla, destroy them in Sevilla, and Jumla Pategi is finally relieved of his duties. Was one week of wages probably the reason why? I might be. And this is the thing with a lot of coaches, that the salary that they are on is part of the reason why they are not being fired as quickly as they are. Well, don't pay a dude like $10 million a year if you think you're going to keep him for like one and a half. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Anyway, Chris Wilder has also been sacked. He was sacked by Middlesbrough. Unfortunate for him. I thought he was, you know... Building something, but it also kind of went downhill. And Chris Wilder has now shown that he can get a unit going. But maybe there's something around the way he works that starts to stall that. It becomes more about him. I don't know. It's a narrative. It's one that's coming out. I'm not the one saying it. Well, I am saying it. I'm just not the one that proposes it. That's all. Sinisa Mihailovic. Fired from Bologna. Marko Arnautovic is at that club, just in case you need to know. Just some kind of connection just to work with. Anyway. Uh, Gerard Seone from Bayer Leverkusen, fired, replaced by Xabi Alonso. Hopefully his passing game is as good as his communication game as a coach. They're going to need it. They're a really good squad, but 
somehow someone's got to make Bayer Leverkusen start playing football because they've been bad for a while. Domenico Tedesco. Eh, Italian man. Tedesco means German in Italian. Uh, the RB Leipzig coach. And he was just, boom, canned, done. Jesse Marsh style. Quick. Over. Out the door. You're doing all right. Sort of. Mm, mm, we're gone. Nagelsmann set a bar that is very, very, very difficult to cope with there. So, unfortunate for Tedesco. I thought he did a really good job picking up after Marsh. But this season, league, Champions League, things haven't been great. So, they want to make a change. Kind of normal in Germany at this point. They just like, they go, well, we've got a good squad. We just need someone that's going to make them work. That's it. No worries. Just out you go, in you go. You're hireable elsewhere. Seems like a decent environment. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Speaking of RB Leipzig, though, is that uh, Christopher Vivel, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, he uh, has been promoted to Chelsea. Hey, Chelsea have hired a sporting director or technical director or something, something, someone under Todd Bully that is not just, you know, Graham Potter, basically. Um Very important to have some structure in a club. It looks like Todd Bowley's been wanting to do this for a while. Finally, they get their man, I think. I don't don't really know if they've actually got their man. We'll see. And look, this is is crucial, Chelsea. They they cannot go around having Todd Bowley being, you know, the technical director going and making signings around Europe forever. This cannot persist. They need someone who's a professional at the job. Christopher Vivel, I believe that's how you say his name. He seems like at least an option at present. We'll see how it goes. All right, then you've got the managers who are clinging on by an absolute thread. I had Chris Cooper on here on my list, and then he gets given a new contract at Nottingham Forest. This has to be one of the worst runs of form and a contract reward in the same time ever in the Premier League. I'm not discounting Chris Cooper. He took this team from relegation zone in the championship to promotion territory. They went in the playoffs, won promotion. Chris Cooper did great things. And then 23 players were signed. Look, I'm a coach. I don't know what you do with a whole new squad on top of the one you had not only did you like look for players you wanted and bought those and start to set things up, but then your owner just goes and goes, I know, I know I've got you the team you want, but I'm going to add 10 more players to that. What do you think? Sounds good? Cool. I mean, you're in a pretty bad situation. You're basically like, hi, thanks for the gifts, but now I can't handle it. And, uh, shit. So Morgan Gibbs White, I actually think, That's a great signing. Jesse Lingard is looking like the biggest waste of money. Worse than Serge Aurier. I mean, come on. Look, at this point, something at Nottingham Forest is going to need to settle. And I think that giving Chris Cooper a new contract might have been that thing. We'll see how it goes. If Malinakis fires him in like six weeks, that would be epic. I don't think he's going anywhere. And the funny thing is, Brendan Rodgers, 
on the same night that I was looking at Chris Cooper and Brendan Rodgers. Who's going to go down? These two are playing each other. Lester win 4-0. Chris Cooper's gone. Rodgers is in. And then Lester lose today. So now you wonder, oh, God, they've lost to Bournemouth. Having taken the lead, they have just lost to Bournemouth. Epic disaster for Lester. And Brendan Rodgers, it's sad to see a guy just sitting in a job waiting to get fired so that he can take his cut because it would be a fortune to fire him. And I think that's the saddest part about this. It's like you kind of want Lester to move forward and they have the players to do so. If they have a good, get a good coach, they they can become a good team. But they won't as long as Brendan Rodgers is there just kind of waiting to get fired. And it's... Yeah, this one's a weird money one, and I wouldn't be surprised if this kills Leicester this season. I think, and I've been saying it for a while, pay the money, get the dude out, and get someone else in. Not that Brendan Rodgers is not a good coach. I really like him. But where things are at Leicester right now, you got to cut the cord and get someone in who's going to make things work, not someone who's like, fire me. And pay me, bro. Like, that's not what you want. That's not what you want at all. It, it will not make any sense. So, I've just gone over two managers who are basically sort of in and but not in that position. Someone who maybe for real in the Premier League is Ralph Hasenhutl. On a podcast recently, but on a podcast, no, on my podcast recently, I was talking to SDFC. I said that these guys would probably finish top 10. Yeah. You know what's funny about it? I still have this weird belief that Southampton are good enough with the squad, the youth, Hassan Hoodle. Let's go. I may have. All right. That one, I'm, I'm pretty sure I went a little overboard on that one. But I will say, every time Ralph Hassan Hoodle is just like on the brink of the sack, the team goes on like a two to three month run that saves them from relegation and saves his job for the next season, basically. So we'll see what happens here. I like the squad they've built. He's also been there a good minute and 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 has done a great job developing the club into quality youth players that aren't just academy kids and like old Premier League players, but a good mix of international and everything. So look, if he goes, I think he has left the club in a good place. Ralph Hasenhutl has been a success at Southampton, if you ask me. As for going forward, I'm really not sure. But I don't think he's the only Premier League manager under a lot of pressure. David Moyes needs to watch his ass. He has been a little bit unlucky this season. You take the Chelsea match where they probably should have won the game and ended up losing. Nottingham Forest as well, a match that they should have won the game, somehow ended up losing. So it's six points that would put West Ham in a quite different looking position in the table. But David Moyes spent a lot of money this summer, and West Ham did on his behalf for uh, how this worked in terms of which players are his signings, which players were club signings, I don't know. But a lot of investment was made, and results need to be seen. And so the players who were doing well last season cannot just become afterthoughts. They have to kick on added with the new group. This is a very difficult bridge to gap, to go from like, you know, a 
sixth, seventh, eighth place team to saying, no, 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 we're like contenders for fifth and sixth and maybe four every year from here on out. It's a very difficult place to get to. So, look, I'm not sure David Moyes, he needs to get this team winning fast because the board will look at it and go, well, I can find a coach that can make this crop of players win games. Is it Moisey? Come on, stick in there, man. Like, don't look. No, I'd love to see Moy succeed. I, I really would. I really would. I'd love to see him in Champions League football. That'd be great. It'd be great. Another person who I think is under some pressure is Patrick Vieira. Now, I love me some Patrick Vieira. Terrific player. And I, I like what he did in terms of taking his time in management, starting in the MLS, cutting his teeth at NYCFC. And then eventually come to the Premier League. He, he, he's doing well at Crystal Palace because they had a great season last season. But right now, things are not excellent. And they've played well. But results haven't exactly gone their way. Well, the question is, by the time we're next month, if results still haven't gone their way, they will still be in the bottom four, five, maybe even three of the table. You sort of wonder, like, the amount of good faith that Patrick Vera built up, he should be able to stay in the club for a while. But at the same time, ah, it's brutal how quick football is, isn't it? It really is. It, it, it takes no time for you to go from basically here to zero as a coach, especially. I think I'm just, like, hoping Ralph Hasenhutl survives because he's been great and I love the guy, but... All right, actually, I take that back. Ralph Hasenhutl, next to be fired, for sure. All right, let's move on. Chelsea, they uh, recently fired somebody at the club. Don't remember the person's name. Didn't really bother to look it up. Didn't feel it was right to be naming a person who has been sending negative, terrible text messages that are apparently with sexually harassing Tone behind them. It's not good. It's not good. Marina Granovskaya was apparently receiving some of these messages. This is ugly stuff that continues. And and this is where the show takes a slight turn. We're going to have to talk about something big that happened this week. So I mentioned Marina Granovskaya getting you know abusive text messages because this is the beginning of of what happened with the Sally Yates investigation. For those of you who do not know who Sally Yates is, she was appointed as the Federal Attorney General of the United States. It's quite a job. It's like the U.S. lawyer by Barack Obama in 2015. Okay, so over the last couple of years, she has been conducting an investigation into the NWSL and soccer in the U.S. and women's soccer and everything, basically, and returned quite a damning report of what she found. And so I brought this up. It's sacking season, right? Like, managers are getting fired. But now, let me unveil to you the amount of people who are losing their jobs due to this scandal. And by the way, it is absolutely correct that these people are being forced out of their work. Why it took so long, that's the big question. 
So Sally Yates, she, as I said, was attorney general under the Obama administration. She decided to take on an investigation into the NWSL and women's soccer in the U.S. And she produced an exhaustive 127-page report on her findings. And they are, frankly, appalling. As soon as the document dropped on Monday this week, there's been just an outpouring of support for players. There's been public statements from pretty much every organization or affiliation with women's football at a professional level that you can think of worldwide. I mean, it's been massive, which is great. It's been very good to see that kind of thing. A lot are heartfelt. And then there's some that are hollow, and that's disappointing. And you know which ones they are. A lot of sponsors who express grave concern with their affiliation, you know, or their affiliation to this or that. Some have come out and made strong statements. Some have basically just like been like, oh, we don't agree with that. Cool. What else are we doing today? You know, a, a lot of lip service has also been paid, but some very positive, strong words have been put here. And so I think this was kind of a watershed moment, actually. And I don't mean actually, not not kind of. It actually is a watershed moment. A lot of people are aware of this. And it's going to make a difference. So Yates, Sally Yates, she went through and pretty much showed how there was just a giant history of just just misconduct and abuse. I mean, it, 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 it's hard to explain, but just routinely through the organizations in the NWSL, throughout the clubs and organizations, Coaches were hired who basically sexually harassed and abused players and then, like Catholic priests, were just, like, moved on to the next club without anyone saying anything. Reports were filed and ignored. And this is what is really, really disappointing. Basically, it's it's actually really difficult to explain the severity of what happened. And that's what points to the report being as long as it is. I mean... There's so many situations that are detailed in this where managers like Paul Riley are like touching players in sexually massively inappropriate ways. Like just complete, complete violation of privacy, complete violation of sexual autonomy. I mean, terrible, right? Demeaning language was across the board, obviously. Players were visibly disappointed that so little had been done for such a long time. And in that time frame, Sally Yates actually produced a report. And the fallout is, like, actually happening. And we're talking about a fallout. If you are not paying attention to the story, things are going down. Sherlin, Sherwin-Williams, they ended their sponsorship with Racing Louisville. All right, And they pledged the remainder of their funds to the Support Players National Emergency Trust. Tillamook Cheese, right? Tillamook Creamery announced they want to see, quote-unquote, meaningful institutional changes at the Portland Thorns uh, because they are at the center of this as well. Um, Another one of the major sponsors, Alaska Air, who... They're a major sponsor of not just the Portland Thorns, but the Timbers as well, the MLS club. They said they are reviewing their affiliation with not only the Thorns, but the Timbers as well, 
due to having the same ownership group, and they are basically deciding, are we in on this or not? So it seems like things are starting to move, right? These big organizations are starting to feel the pressure. The Timbers Thorns Portland organization announced that it fired Gavin Wilkinson, who was the president uh, for the Thorns and Timbers, and general manager as well, and then Mike Golub, who was the president for of business for both organizations, he is gone as well. Good start. Good start. The crazy thing is that Wilkinson, this is nuts. This guy signed a contract extension with Portland this year while he was still under multiple investigations from the NWSL, the MLS, and also the Players Union. So this is nuts. He was offered an extension even though all this was hanging over it. Like, that's that's completely crazy. It's, that's nuts. That's like, oh, you broke the law. You know, we're hiring for a job. Like, n- nothing? It's completely insane. It's com- nuts. That also includes, by the way, there is an ongoing investigation of the NWSLPA, which is a players association. They're doing a joint investigation. The MLS is investigating all this, right? They're also looking into the situation where Andy Polo, former Timbers midfielder, is also in on this problem himself. There was a situation where he was involved. Now, the funny thing is the owners of the Portland Timbers and the Thorns are Merritt and Hank Paulson, and um, they stay in charge. Uh, it seems like only public pressure is going to do anything to remove these guys or make themselves a club. So that will come. Let's see if the public pressure is enough to make themselves. But the public pressure is coming, I'm telling you. Chicago Red Stars. Their supporters group, Chicago Local 134, they issued a statement saying they will boycott all in-person events, including matches, until the club owner, Armin Whistler, divests. Yates, her report showed that Whistler neglected and ignored multiple allegations against former head coach Rory Dames. Whistler was voted out of the board on Wednesday. There's a win. Bye, boy. I mean, incredible. This stuff's happening across the board. Louisville City Supporters Group, the Ledge Hogs. They displayed banners in their match on Wednesday night against Detroit, calling for former coach Christy Holly. Yes, Christy Holly is a male. I'm going to make that clear. A male Christy Holly to be arrested and for James O'Connor, also male, uh, president of the club, to also be fired. Yo, these pennies are dropping all over and at long last because the situation, as it continues to develop, like we hope to see some real changes here in women's football and football in general. Because here's the thing about that report. There was an extended section that delved into the rampant culture of abuse in the sport down to the grassroots level. And one of the most gut-wrenching components of this was the way players view abuse from a coach and how it takes them a lot of time to actually realize and comprehend what they were experiencing. Unfortunately, 
they've had so many terrible examples over the years that they're playing in club soccer that by the time they get to professionals, they just think this is normal to be cussed at, to be like told your shit. You got to be better. What's wrong with you? You got to lose weight, this and that. Now, some of you may be like, yeah, that's good, hardcore, get in their faces, let's go, motivate that, it doesn't work. Once you get the meaning to people, it doesn't work. It's actually completely, completely backwards. One of the hard things, like, unfortunately, they've had so many situations where players, they witness coaches not act like adults. They witness coaches act like children in adults' clothing. And unfortunately, they're still seeing that as some kind of an example. Whether it's a good or bad one, they're seeing it. The physical abuse and the sexually related breaches like that happened at the NWSL are not in any question deplorable. And it's a credit to the women involved they reported them because you need reporting. The amount of stuff I see on youth fields is always unreported. You think you know what happens out there to kids every day in the sport. You don't. It, it goes unreported. I see things every time. I can't report them all. And I will say, in situations like these, I am very proud. I want to say, let's give props to the women that came out and reported these things. Because what they did is they created a actual documentation track record that made it so that eventually when the authorities woke up the hammer could drop because the evidence was there now from my perspective i say the scary thing is that as a youth soccer coach in the u.s all you have to do is like turn up to a club that need to hire coaches pass a background check if you can do that, great. Now you got to just do a concussion course and safe sport, which is basically two and a half hours of telling you when a situation is one you should report. Um, and I know it sounds simple, but safe sport doesn't really do anything. And I think a lot of people can agree to that. Safe sport doesn't change anything. It doesn't curb human behavior. It is an online course. Same as concussion. Okay. So you have two online courses and a background check, and that's all you need to be given a group of people to mold on a mental level. It's completely insane. Most of these people have no idea what they're doing. Shouting at players, putting kids under immense pressure, like making them viciously compete against one another. It's highly toxic. It's terrible. It's commonplace on all fields across the country. These kids grow up and the talented ones go on to college or professional level or something to receive just as despicable a treatment as they had before. And it's from the leaders whose job it is to support and protect them. So this is football in America. This is what we deal with. And I think Sally Yates's report will help a lot to address a lot of the institutional issues that are going on but you know we got to fix our houses people i mean we have to fix our game we have to fix the way that we teach people the way we think about this is this all about winning is this all about 
destroying an opponent. What is this about? What is this about for you as a fan when you watch the game? What is this about for you if you play? I would say the same thing for the people at U.S. Soccer. What can you do to make people feel proud? What can you do to make youth players feel safe in an environment where they actually can learn and grow? Because the players that I am currently coaching, I have heard from parents, they've had a rough last two years. They've had a rough time. Some of the coaches they had just berated them or didn't coach them and didn't help them. And I'm looking at kids, boys, 12 years old, who are devoid of confidence. And I wonder, like, what could happen if they fell into the wrong person's hands? When you work in this sport, especially at the youth levels, you start to think about what an impact that this Saliates investigation might have. And I, I hope it has a big one. I hope it has a big one in terms of thinking the way we talk about abuse, not just sexual abuse in the workplace, because I think that's something we're covering, but abuse towards youth, not just girls, and not just sexual abuse. I just mean abuse in general, the way coaches yell at kids and the way parents accept it. That needs to go. It needs to change. It needs to be evolved. It is part of what it makes it so that when professionals move all, when players move all the way to the professional level and they're being abused by a coach at the professional level as adults, as paid professionals, they still accept it. That's not okay. There are so many jobs in this sport. The key to having a quality footballing ecosystem is to have good people in charge at every rung of the ladder. From the youth to the top. There has to be a common idea that the sport is a fun way to learn, a fun way to exchange knowledge, lessons, wisdom and have something to set your mind and your body to you can make friends community and if you're good enough hey if you're good enough in any arena of this thing you can reach some high level that gives you money and also stardom and also just reach reach to empower other people which is super cool but people in high levels they've also got to be held to high standards and I hope that Sally Yates raised the standard for what is acceptable in the NWSL. Because also they're youth coaches. Paul Riley, I believe, was a youth coach who was sort of just like promoted from like an academy girls U sixteen job to the a pro job. I mean, this is not this is not pro level stuff. So I'm hoping the NWSL can raise their game that everyone can make sure that there's more safety for the players, these professionals, and also that we can filter that down to the kids because they're growing up one day, all right? And now that turnover is coming in rapid time. Change will surely follow. Now, as for football as a whole, we just need to remember we're a community of people. We're playing a game. We're kicking a round ball. How do we stick together? How do we make sure we create situations where people are just like happy, empowered, and feeling safe? And not situations where people are predated on. It doesn't make sense. This game is good for everybody. Keep it that way. This is Campfire Football. I'm sorry I had to deal with a slightly more difficult subject to end with, but it is very important we talk about that as well. So... Thank you. This is episode 119. It's sacking season. I'm Sebastian North. 
See you later.